I haven't seen you since last year, and uh, it's good to see each one of you. When uh, Pastor Bishop was mentioning that you were the greatest thing that he had seen all week, I wasn't thinking of his wife. He's in and out of my office all week, too, and, uh, but you are a pleasant sight to the eyes, and uh, we are happy that we can be together uh, this week, and I want to say thank you for those of you that uh, led last week, and I want to thank our music department and our orchestra. You sounded great online, and uh, I especially want to thank uh, Mark Hausfeld for sharing his story, a wonderful story. And those of you that uh, may be viewing this morning and didn't have opportunity to listen to last week, go into our archives and listen to last week's sermon. Mark, thank you so much for the uh, wonderful ministry that you provided and your story and how God has blessed your life and continues to do so. I also want to thank those that have made this Advent season a very special time. I want to thank Jenny Austin for her leadership and the decorating of our facility. And uh, may look a little boring today, you know, without all the trees and so on. And I hope you don't think that of your pastor, but uh, uh, we uh, do appreciate all those that work so hard to get us through this season. Um, Abby Vaughn, who's uh, administering our youth ministry, uh, she did a wonderful job with our Advent devotionals in each person that was involved throughout this uh, past season. We say thank you. Well, the Lord is good and he's wonderful, just as we've been reminded through our music this morning and through our praise and our worship. And today, as we go into a new season, we go into a new year, I want to speak on a subject that is dear to our heart and is that of restoration. We will be looking at some verses out of Philippians in the next few weeks in I remind you, the word restoration is a word that means to return something to a former original condition, unimpaired condition. To restore is to go back to an earlier condition. And we use that word, uh, maybe not exactly that word, but in our everyday living right now, it seems like we sure would like to get back to some form of restoration. We'd like to get back to the normal, to the original. And here we go into a new year. Almost everything can be restored. Many of you that sit here are good at, at restoring some items. People restore toys. They restore Coke machines. People restore furniture, clothing, buildings, uh, signs, barber chairs, arcade games. Uh, you think of it, and it can be a mixer from your kitchen shelf all the way to a clock on the wall, tractors, radios. And one of the things that we're all into is restoring our physical bodies. Hopefully, we have an intent in our heart to take care of our physical bodies. We go to doctors, and we, we wish that there was some magical thing that they could do to restore us back to that young condition, or for sure, vitamins and other supplements. Well, restoration is something to be feared because the articles that I'm reading concerning restoration, they're saying that it could be a dying art because people today in this generation are not so interested in working with their hands as they are with their minds. And, and, um, and so therefore, with the hands-off situation, things do not get restored. 
My hobby, and in some ways, uh, and sometimes in my life, my advocation was that of restoration. Restoration of automobiles. I know a little bit about it, why and how. Well, when I was age 13, I had a single uh, parent family, and my mother could not afford a car. And so I went to work when I was in ninth grade, and I bought my first couple cars. And needless to say, they were in pretty poor condition because of the price that I paid for them. So I learned in order to have a car for my mother to get from point A to point B, it required some restoration. It might not have been the prettiest thing, but that's where it all started. And then when I got to college and went off to Bible school and didn't have a whole lot of support in doing that, I found myself doing some restoration work in the parking lot of Central Bible College, not only on my vehicles, but others, so I could pay my school bill. And then as a youth pastor, and starting in some churches as the first uh, person on board and the first full-time youth pastor, the salary was not always that great. So I found myself purchasing automobiles and fixing them up, restoring them, and selling them. Now, my restoration process is probably a form of therapy. Because when you work with people, and I've learned this through years of pastoring, changes are very slow. And anticipating changes in the lives of other individuals and myself can be quite mundane. It can be quite boring. It can lose its luster because people do not change in a hurry. And there's nothing like going through a restoration process. There's nothing like taking an old car and working on it and seeing a finished product. It's rewarding. It's somewhat like some of you when you cut your grass. To turn around and see that you've accomplished something where today maybe your job is, uh, shows very little accomplishment and it can be draining. Well, how does restoration work? Well, with automobiles, I can talk about that a little bit because you always have to be looking, you always have to be listening, and you always have to be reading. You know, what's profitable? What's worth putting your money into? What's worth putting your time into? For example, one day I received a phone call from a missionary. They were on their way to China. Unexpectedly, they called me, and the lady said, I have a 1956 Chevy farm truck that I have had since I was in high school. A white farm truck that uh, was simply sitting and um, had good bones. And I went over and looked at it, asked her what she wanted for it, and I paid the price. After a few short months of taking this farm truck that was a $2,000 vehicle and turning it into a national show winner, it was through restoration, a 1956 truck turning into a project of restoration, and then the final project looks like this. It is a truck that, uh, that is completely done and with a, a kind of a nostalgic look. Another vehicle that came across my attention was that of a Studebaker. A Studebaker Avante. When I was a kid and I was working in a Studebaker shop when I was in junior high and high school, 
I can remember the Avante coming out that was a car that tried to stay, save Studebaker. I heard about it, so in November of 2013, made a trip to Indiana and picked this car up. In January of 2014, I had it completely stripped. It looked like a leper. And then you take the wheels off, you take it down to the chassis, and it looks like a space vehicle because you start working on it. A front view, a side view, and then a finish view. You see, this is restoration. And many start something, but they don't finish it. And all that does is become a drawer on you. And re restoring, especially old things, is always work that can be done. And new cars are pretty reliable. New cars have a lot of safety features. New cars uh, have a lot of luxury that old cars don't have. But in restoring vehicles or any type of old thing, you feel like you're preserving a piece of American history. Perhaps you are preserving a childhood memory. Every old item, whether it be a car or anything, has a story. The driving experience of old cars is one of a mechanical experience, shifting, premeditating your stops because the brakes are not computerized. No electric windows and no electric door locks, no cruise control. It takes talent and it takes a great deal of attention. In some ways, it's an extension of an individual's personality. It depends on the flair that you put in the car. It depends on what you do to it. And for all people, this is not a good hobby. It is not a good point of restoration. Some people are not interested. They're bored with the thought and they wonder, why would you do something like that? Well, regardless, it's a head-turning hobby and it is one that gets attention and many thumbs up. Well, let's talk a little bit about restoration here on this campus. Over the years, there's been a great deal of restoration. Recently, most recently, we restored our sanctuary. And here we sit today in a room that we didn't plan on sitting in. I walk into the sanctuary probably once a week and I say to myself, I cannot wait till we get back into that space. We restored the sanctuary. We put in new floors, new lights, and, and uh, new paint and platform uh, in media, etc. And all the great work that's been done now, and we're not using that particular space. But this morning, I remind you that renovating a church facility or restoring a church facility is meaningless unless God renovates the church. The church is you and I. The restoration that must take part in our life. And I believe that God wants to step into our midst. And this is not a New Year's message, although it happens to be at the beginning of the year. So you can apply it to your life any way that you want. But God wants to step into the midst of our lives. And he wants to restore our spiritual lives. To restore us to a passion of our calling. To impart a new vigor into our weariness. And to revive and to rekindle the fires of our spirit. 
May that be our prayer, just as it was sung this morning that, that once we are gods, we do not die. You see, Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi. We look at that letter, and it's a church that's very near and dear to his heart. And looking at the history and looking at the context of the scripture, Paul planted this church during his second missionary journey. And here he is seven years later, and he writes a letter to them to encourage to restore their lives. Encourage to renew their lives. It's in Philippians, the first chapter and verse number six. There's a key verse, and that key verse says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Perfection, some translations say. And the, the word perfect means to continue, continue to the ending, to finish. Many restoration projects never get finished. Some of you have them in your shop. Some of you have them in your sewing room. Some of you have them in your hobby room. But this is a work that will be finished. The perfecting or the restoration of our lives is more than just a little paint. It's more than just a little bondo. It's more than just taking some spackle and patching things up. It's more than putting on new chrome or pulling out a dent. It's a journey that takes place in the depth of our heart to discover who we are and what you and I really believe. Where is our trust? That word work in this text refers to staying active or, or a saving activity of God, a work that he is doing in our lives, an active work that, that he is working within us. And as a child of God, you and I, our work in progress. We will finish well, regardless of what happens around us, regardless of how you feel today. We will finish well because God is our master builder and we will finish and he will finish what he has started. You see, once we are with him, we never die. Our relationship with him is one that is continually being restored, hopefully, and we can be confident of that. This text in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. As we enter this new year in the year of 2021, people seem to be caught up in a race for happiness. We look for pleasant things to take place, but the sad thing is, is that happiness is unattainable. Because it depends upon circumstances, and circumstances are not real pleasant right now. <clears throat> and what happens to us? Well, what happens when our toys break? What happens when our toys and our projects rust out? What happens when they need paint? What happens when the decor is dated in our home? What happens when a loved one passes and leaves a void? What happens when our health deteriorates? What happens when money is stolen? What happens when the party is over? Often happiness flees and despair sets in. Are you at a place of despair in your life right now? Are you downtrodden? 
Paul in the book of Philippians focuses on the idea of joy instead of happiness. You see, joy runs much deeper. Joy is stronger. It flows from that quiet confidence of a genuine relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. And we are encouraged to rejoice in the Lord always, the scripture says, and again to rejoice. And Paul's not writing a letter from a place of comfort here, by the way, in a place of easiness. He's presently in a Roman jail, facing the uncertainties of life, not knowing what's going to happen next. And somehow Paul had learned that whatever the circumstances, be content. He found real joy in focusing all of his attention on Jesus Christ and fulfilling the call that was upon his life. And Paul's letter is really a thank you note. He is thanking the people for what they have done for him. And he is thanking them for the wonderful gifts that he's received. But Paul's design and purpose is to strengthen and to encourage the church to keep on keeping on and restore that first love that you've had. One of the challenges of 2020, and it continues into this year, is that people are frustrated. People are so anxious in this race for happiness. People are struggling. Maybe some of you that listen today and you are watching today, some who sit in this room, they're struggling to find peace and contentment with others, with our government, with our church, and even when them, with themselves, you are not happy with where you are and what's going on in your life. And we seem to forget that we all are a work in progress. We all are a work that is not finished yet, but you can rest assured that God is going to finish what he has started in you. And I believe he's going to finish what he has started in us corporately. What he has started in this world, he will finish. He will be the ultimate winner. And the truth is, his good work in you may have just begun. And I know that this truth applies to, to my life, that God is not through with me yet. So please be patient with me. In fact, sometimes I get the feeling that he is just starting with me. As we enter 2021, I want to share this morning a few important things that I feel that are important for my life, important for a Christian's life as we run this race. First of all, remember, do not forget the great love that God has for you in the joy that he has over each one of you. If you are his child, God knows that you are a work in progress so count on a great finish. Count on a great finish. Philippians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 5. It starts out, Paul. Now, this is the style of the writing. Paul, he is the one. He identifies himself as the sender. In Timothy, he identifies the one who receives. Servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ, Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. And then he, in his fashion, he gives a greeting. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy 
There's that word, joy, not happiness. But I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you look at the 15th chapter of Luke, you'll find that there are several parables in that chapter that demonstrate the love that God has for each one of us. I'm sure that you can identify with at least one of them. It comes to mind, the parable, and it talks about the lost sheep. There's another parable that speaks about the lost coin. Another parable speaks about the lost son. And these parables describe the Father's love for you and me. Each case given in the parables, there's no expense in, in, there's no expense in spared. The, the woman who lost the coin, she lit a lamp. She swept the house. She searched carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls a friend and a neighbor's. And she says, rejoice with me. I found my coin. I have found it. One of the shows that I often watch is a show called Northwood Law. Northwood Law is an interesting show because, for one thing, as I watch it, I identify with the spots. I was a short-term truck driver while I was in college during the summer months, and I drove throughout New Hampshire. And Northwood Law is all about the New Hampshire Fishing and Game Department and some of the things that they do to enforce law. I enjoy the show. There's one particular game warden that they feature. His name is Ron Arsenault. And Ron Arsenault tells a story. Ron was born in uh, New Durham, New Hampshire. But he tells a story about a massive search that he had to do on Mount Major. Now, Mount Major in New Hampshire is probably like a hill here in the Ozarks. It's, it's about 1,800 feet tall. It's just south of Lake Winnipesaukee. It's in the town or an area called Alton, New Hampshire. But it's interesting because this particular search that he went on was a search for 37 people that were missing on this mountain. Can you imagine 37 people missing on a mountain? And so Ron gets his search party, and it takes a lot of work. And if there's carelessness on the part of the hikers, they get to pay the bill. But he goes and he finds the hikers. And this is often the case on the show. Somebody will get hurt, and then there's other people that are catching too many fish, or they're, you know, catching fish that are too small, and a lot of, a lot of fun things. But I bring this show to your attention not because of Ron Arsenal. By the way, he's no relative of mine. Some of you have called me and asked me, so I know that you view this show. But I, I bring this point to you this morning to just remind you that God spares nothing in search for you. Nothing. You see, he gathers the greatest search party that's ever been formed to find you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his angels after you. He sent the power of the Holy Spirit. And as they searched, I wonder how many people were praying for you, just as we prayed this morning for others that may not know Jesus Christ. 
We will never know fully how deep and how thorough and how costly the search was for your salvation or my salvation. You do, you do not belong to him today because of chance or because of some accident that took place or a stroke of faith. You are his because he never gave up on you. He never gave up on you and he searched until he found you. Interestingly, this morning, this text has already been quoted from Romans, the eighth chapter, the 32nd verse. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. And how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God rejoices because you and I are here today. And remember, God rejoices over you, not based on how good you are, but he loves you for who you are. So God loves you and he rejoices over you. The second thing as we go into a new chapter of our life is to remember that God is still working on you. Remember that text in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he's doing a work and he'll bring that work to completion. And some of you look at your spouse this morning and you say, amen, I hope that's true. And you know, some of us need a, a button that says, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. The point is, is that you and I, our restoration works in progress. God has begun a good work in each one of us that follow him. His spirit is in us living in each one of us, changing us, molding us, using us for his good pleasure. And you, I, you and I are a work in progress. You are a project that God is working on, and you will not be complete until the day of Jesus Christ and his coming. But we will ultimately finish. We lost this week a brother from this service who has ultimately finished the work. I believe the Lord said, well done, thy good and faithful servant, Merrill. Allowing God to change you and to mold you and to use you <clears throat> many times can be very painful. It can be difficult times. It can be hard times. But I remind you this, that it's going to be rewarding. Even though you feel like things aren't too rewarding right now, rejoice unto me. God rejoices over each one of us. He, 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 he loves us. And, and I think about when I accepted Jesus Christ, I gave, I remember that day, I gave up my rights basically to do my own thing. The zeal that I had in my life, there used to be a group. Um, and when they had announcements at church, I didn't know what all these names meant, but there was a group called WMCs. And I went to that meeting because uh, it was something to go to. I was so excited and I wanted to be part of it. Well, WMCs was Women's Missionary Council. And I remember showing up and they were doing quilts. And those women loved me because I could get down on the floor and I could lay under this rack. And when the needle came through, I could push it back up. 
And I became a WMC. I was so excited about being part of God's family. I died to myself. And I told God, you've got control over every part of my life. And so as today in that restoration process, I must understand that he must continue and I must allow him to chisel away and to convict me and to discipline me and always use me as he sees fit. Last week, I was in Florida with my family. We stayed at a home that was one block from the ocean. And I saw something that was quite common there in Florida, as I had viewed many times at Cape May when we would go there when I was pastoring in New Jersey. And that was deterioration. I noticed that the homes deteriorate quite quickly because of the salt water and the mist and the paint deteriorates and, and as, as workers were working on these homes I could see rotted boards and houses that were, weren't very old and there were several construction sites in the neighborhood that we were in the salt water does a great damage to those homes and requires constant maintenance but I was reminded of the fact that there is always a lot of stuff on construction sites. Now we have builders in this congregation and some of you keep your sites really nice. But commonly there's some good things on a construction site. There's junk, there's trash, and conditions constantly change on a construction site. There may be a storm, there may be disruptions, there may be pandemics, there may be floods, there may be sunshines. But don't allow the conditions to frustrate you. It's normal. Builders know that. And it's not a surprise to God either. And this is a point where some Christians struggle with their Christian experience. They, they fail to completely surrender control of their lives they refuse to allow God to work on them. And some lose out because of their unwillingness to grow beyond salvation and experience discipline and discipleship and sanctification. And they give up. There's no such thing, church, as camping right inside the pearly gates once you're saved. The storms come. The construction site is there. We must continue to grow in our spiritual journey and keep growing and climbing higher in the things of the Lord. You and I are work in progress. God will finish what he has started with us. We must remember that, that he is ultimately in control. In Philippians verses 9 through 11 of that first chapter, the Apostle Paul writes, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer here involves a labor of restoration, Restoration always involves tearing out, deconstruction, tearing out the old, the worn out parts and pieces that have faded over the age. 
Do you still remember those early moments of your Christian journey? Do you remember when Jesus Christ came into your heart? For most of us, those days were filled with wonder. The days of, of, of discovery, the days of newness in our spiritual life, excitement and joy. Let's not fall away from those days. But let's let God do a great work in our lives, a work of restoration today. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes about. He writes about the fact that God wants to do a work in our lives. He wants to do a restoration. We must realize that only God can do a full restoration in our lives. And ask God today to restore your heart. I believe that the key to surviving in the 2021 broken world is not how much we worry, but how much we trust God. How much we cast our cares upon him. And what do the, uh, we, we can try to do a lot of things on our own. And the things that we attempt to do, we must realize that sometimes we will get nowhere. But let us cast our cares upon Jesus Christ. Let us be a project that will come to completion. Half done restorations, I know for a fact, are horrible. They just sit there. And they don't get done. But God's doing a great work in each one of us. Let us pray that our hearts would be changed. Let us pray that there'll be a move of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And let us pray that God will create in us a new heart.